Well, good morning, Tri-Village. My name's Phil Shields. Uh, I am one of the teaching pastors at our North Avenue campus in West Chicago, and I am just loving the opportunity to get to be here with you at Tri-Village. Um, I was reminded this week, um, I have been talking with Caitlin and Melissa and Carol throughout the week, and every conversation I've had, I am just continually reminded of how much I love this place and love you. I know that I don't get the opportunity to interact with you all the time, but just knowing that as uh, we work on our groups and getting you connected here and doing life together, that I get the opportunity from a little bit of a distance to, to be a part of what's happening here, and I love this place. I love standing and worshiping with you, and I'm just so honored to be able to be with you today. And so my prayer is that today, we as a family, as brothers and sisters, that we would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to whatever God wants to say, however he wants to encourage each of us personally. And so uh, my prayer is that he would have his way. And so I want to invite you, I know you just sat down, but this is what happens at church. You stand up, you sit down, all that. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment for the reading of God's Word. And so we stand out of reverence for this sacred text, sacred text that is alive and wanting to transform us. And so I want to encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament And we're going to be starting in verse 13. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen uh, above me. But Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would open our eyes to the places that you want to speak into personally, and then what you want to do with us as a community here. I pray that because we have been told to put on this armor, that the disciples here at Tri-Village, that they would have the opportunity to make an incredible kingdom uh, contribution to this area. And that because of this church and the armor that this church is putting on, people would be transformed and people would find you. So speak to us today. In your name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we're in this series called Spiritual War. And we've been looking at, uh, over the last couple weeks, at Ephesians chapter 6. And so whenever we're looking at this, we have to understand that there's some language that isn't necessarily something that uh, we talk about all the time, but we're looking at this spiritual war that is going on. 
And so I want you to know that I was praying this week, praying for you, praying for myself, and that we would remember something. That we would remember and that we would recognize that, and it's not all that comforting, okay? But because we have a God who is mighty and who is on the throne, this should not scare us. But I've been praying because every morning you wake up, every morning I wake up, we wake up to a war. We actually wake up, not necessarily in the comfort of our own blankets, we wake up to a battlefield. That you are entering a battlefield every day. And so today, as we look at Ephesians 6, we're looking at another piece of armor that we are told to put on. And that piece of armor is known as the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And so we're going to be looking at this. And as I was reading Ephesians 6, and I went back to the Old Testament uh, in Isaiah, and I was looking at this thread of, of the breastplate and of righteousness and this thread through all of Scripture, I believe that Paul, who is writing this in Ephesians 6, I believe that he wants us to understand a principle that has to do with this breastplate. And the principle is this. It's that the breastplate of righteousness ends up protecting the flow of your heart in your battle. The breastplate of righteousness protects the flow of your heart in your battle. I mean, let's be honest. Each and every, every one of us, no matter our age, no matter where we live, what town we're from, you have entered this place this morning in a spiritual battle that you have a battle going on. For me, the first battle was realizing it was six degrees outside and I had to leave my home. But we have to understand that we are in this battle and Paul is making us realize that in Ephesians 6. So in 2008, there was this thing that really began to take motion in our country. It's not necessarily the most important thing, although it really brings us excitement, but it's known as the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe really started launching in 2008 with the first movie in that whole uh, like series of movies, and it was the movie Iron Man. You might have seen it. Now, if you haven't seen it, I want you to know, I know Pastor Hannibal was here last week, and he always brings the spoiler to movies, okay? He always ruins movies for everybody because he tells you what happens, even if you haven't seen it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you what happens because the reality is, is that there's an Iron Man 2, an Iron Man 3, a lot of other movies that Iron Man are in. So I am not going to tell you what happens in the movie, but just know he makes it out all right, okay? So Iron Man starts with Tony Stark. Tony Stark is this guy who uh, was raised, his dad started Stark Industries, and they are uh, a weapons manufacturer. And so at the beginning of the movie, you end up seeing Stark going to Afghanistan, and he is meeting with the U.S. military there to sell them some weapons. And so as he makes this display, his arrogance and everything that is a part of Tony Stark is taking place. And then he gets back in, uh, in his vehicle, and he, or his uh, caravan, and he goes 
to go back to the airfield. And when he does, all of a sudden there's an ambush on his vehicle. Things are blowing up all over the place. He runs out of his vehicle trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually he wakes up in a prison cell that's found in a cave. And he wakes up to his chest, or maybe I should say his heart, is attached to a car battery. Now, remember, this isn't real, okay? But he is attached to this. And so what we end up finding out is that he meets this friend in the cell, Jensen. Jensen ends up saving his life by attaching this battery, and he, he ends up putting what is called this electromagnetic field inside of his body to keep the shrapnel from invading his heart. And so this field is there, and it's what we end up finding out is a mini arc reactor. I, I have no idea where they come up with this stuff. But they end up putting this in, Jensen puts it in, and what we don't realize until we get to the end of the movie is that what has happened in that cave is that this friend, this Jensen guy, ends up saving his life and putting this thing in to protect the heart of Tony Stark. Now, whenever we look at this, here's what I want you to understand, because you're going, are we going to be talking about this the whole day? No. Even Hollywood gets the idea that whatever is flowing from your heart is going to end up directing your life. See, protecting the heart was so key because as this took place for, for Tony Stark, it ends up building the foundation to not only protect his life, but to also run the armor that he ends up having over his entire body. And so if it's so important for a film to be basing this whole thing off protecting a heart, imagine how more important it is for the believer to get what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6, that your heart is so vitally important to your life. And often, we don't even think about it. And so Paul ends up saying, look, you have to understand that you as a believer have got to put on the armor of God. So what is Paul doing here? Well, Paul ends up, what, what he ends up doing is he is motivating you, the reader, me, the reader, for battle. He's motivating, getting us ready. And so what you have to understand, and you cannot miss it, is that when you wake up Tomorrow, as you go through your day today, you are in a battle because your heart is going to be battled for and that the evil one is wanting to come after you. Satan is wanting to bring the battle in your direction. And so what we have to understand is that life isn't necessarily about our human circumstances. Life is about the spiritual realm interacting with the physical realm. And what has happened, especially in our country here, is that we have ignored the spiritual realm and we've thought that it only has to do with the earthly physical realm. 
And Paul's reminding us, no, 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 there's something more important at work here. In fact, I want you to see John 10.10. In John 10.10, Jesus is speaking and he is telling us exactly what Satan is going to do. Jesus ends up saying, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus ends up saying, this is what Satan is all about. He is going to come. He is like a thief. He's going to come and he's going to steal and he's going to kill and he's going to destroy and he's bringing this battle to you every day. Every day this is happening. So the reality is, is you have to understand whether you are a Christian or not, you are an enemy of Satan. You're an enemy of Satan. You are somebody he wants to destroy. And so Paul in Ephesians 6 is making sure that we understand that this is very much a command that you are to put on the armor. So what is the armor that he's talking about? Well, today we're looking at the breastplate of righteousness. So what is a breastplate? It's not like you're going to be able to go on Amazon and get this breastplate delivered by Prime. It's not like you're going to go to your local clothing retailer and and find the breastplate. So what is it? Well, Paul is referencing this uh, armor that soldiers would wear. And the breastplate was this, this piece of metal that would go from the neck all the way down to the waist. And it would wrap around not only the chest area, but it would also wrap around to the back. And it played a vital role for the soldier. It would be able to take blows because most of it was hand-to-hand combat. And so it would take the blows from some other enemy, but it would also be able to withstand the arrows that were being shot so that it would protect the most vital organ for the soldier's life, the heart. And so the breastplate would, would go around. In fact, when we read this in Ephesians 6, what Paul is doing is he is realizing and and referencing a text all the way back in Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, what we end up finding is that God is looking at his people and seeing that there's all this awful sinfulness that's going on. He's actually appalled with what is taking place. And it says this in verse 17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. See, Paul is remembering that the Lord ends up putting on this breastplate of righteousness when he is appalled at the sin of what is taking place around the earth. Now, Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness, but notice what he ends up telling us to do. See, you would think that if we're going to start putting on all this armor, we're getting ready to run out and to charge and to take over and and to do all of this stuff. And so he ends up saying, put it on. And it's not to win a victory. I mean, you would think uh, as we go into today, whenever these teams are going for the, the conference championships in the NFL, they are putting on their equipment to go for a victory. 
But what Paul says is not to put on the armor to go win a victory because the victory has already been won at the cross. He ends up saying, put on the armor so that you can stand. Now that is, that is so strange to me. Because here in my human mind, and in my, uh, my idea of what life should be, I want to put on the armor and I want to charge. I want to run. I want to do the things to win the victory. And what I have to remember is that I'm not the one that wins the victory. Jesus is the one that has won the victory. And because he has won the victory, I am called to stand. Stand in his presence. So we put on this armor not for victory because the victory has already been won, but we are to stand. Now, for many of us, what we don't understand about this aspect is that whenever we are called to stand, to put these pieces of armor on and to just stand, what it ends up meaning is that you are standing in total dependence of the one who gave you the armor. Standing doesn't mean that you are operating on your own strength. Standing means that you are in dependence of the owner of the armor. Now here's the the beauty of this, is that God ends up dressing us with His own armor. Notice that this isn't your armor that you are banging out, that you're putting together, that you're building yourself. This is actually armor straight from heaven that you are to clothe yourself with something straight from heaven that has originated from God and He is giving to you to put on. And the crazy thing is that it is going to be a perfect fit. And so this armor, this breastplate is to come and it's to to guard the the area that houses all of life. That whatever is on the seat, on the throne of your heart is the place that's going to direct you, the the thing that's going to make you pursue different things. But he's saying, protect the heart with the breastplate so that you can stand and the only thing you do is depend. So how are you depending today how are you depending today because you're in a battle and i would imagine if you're like me you have been trying a lot of things on your own and paul's reminding us that we are to stand so if we know that we're to put on this breastplate and that it's it's guarding the heart this this area that is so vital to our lives But we then have to understand, what is righteousness? What is this righteousness uh, that that is being talked about? I think we have to remember that because Paul points back to Isaiah 59, and in Isaiah 59 it's talking about God, we have to remember the character of our God. This God that we just spent time in worship. That He is a God who is loving, who is gracious, who is is perfect. He is a sinless creator and no evil is in His presence. And because of that, He ends up setting up a standard of what can actually exist in His presence. 
And because he is a, a perfect God, he is setting up a standard for who can enter his presence. And that ends up meaning that righteousness has to be a part of the one who is in his presence. And so he ends up uh, saying that this is the thing that we are to put on, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in our English language, whenever you hear the word righteous or righteousness, most often in our culture, it ends up being used in a negative sense. I mean, you watch the news, you watch the talk shows. Whenever you hear this word, it's often this self-righteous. When it talks about Christians, it's this self-righteous judging. And so in our culture, this word is getting distorted and it's viewed in a negative way. But if you go back to the biblical text and look at it, there are several words that, are ended, that end up being translated to righteousness. The first word, one of the ways that it means is this, that righteousness means to pass inspection or to be approved. Meaning that this person is, is passing this, it's getting the stamp of approval, and it means that it is now being able to be brought into wherever it's supposed to go. Now, the second word that we find in Scripture that ends up being defined this way from the Hebrew and the Greek ends up defining it to be right with someone. So this is talking about a right relationship, that we are in tune with one another or with God. And so we have this right thing. There is nothing that is dividing us. Now, if you put those together, then we can see what righteousness and what Paul is talking about. I believe that we can look at this and we can kind of give righteousness this definition. And it's to be presentable and pleasing to someone that I want to please. To be presentable and pleasing to someone that we want to please. This is what righteousness is all about. And so if this is the definition that we give to it, what this means is that it has everything to do with what you believe about truth, and from what you believe, it has everything to do with how you act or live it out. So it's not just what you are thinking in your mind, it's also how what you are taking into your mind and what you know about truth and how you live that out through your actions. So the gospel is the truth. And you, believer, are to be living that out every day in every relationship that you have. Now, righteousness doesn't only include what you do, but it also includes the motivation behind it. I mean, do you understand that your motivation impacts how righteous your actions actually are? So whenever we're looking at this, we have to say, okay, I can do the right thing, but I can often mess it up with the wrong motivation. I mean, you might see that in your teenagers right now. My wife sees it in me right now. (laughs) We can do the right thing. We can say the right thing. It's like this. My wife, we're getting ready to go out, and this is, I hate to say it, this has happened. Um, But she comes and she says, how does this look? And I end up, I'm sitting there with my phone and I'm going, it looks good. Now, I said the right thing. 
without the right motivation. See, righteousness ends up having to be this thing where we, when we understand righteousness, it's about living in our motivation and that when we start to fully understand it, it ends up being a struggle for us every day. And the reason it's a struggle is because this is where the battle is at. The battle comes to, to take away the standards that God has set up and to say, no, 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 that's not what it is. And so we try to pursue other things. And what we have to understand is that you were made to please one, the Creator. So when we see this, we can actually see this uh, played out in our lives in several different ways. But one way is think about dating. Think about when you finally get that date with someone that you really, really like, what is it that you're hoping for? You're hoping that they approve of you. So think about what we do. I mean, you end up, you get ready for that date, and you, for us guys, we, we end up making sure that we are wearing something that looks presentable. I can remember whenever I asked my wife out for the first time, and I was hoping that, she, that uh, she would approve of who I was. And so I did everything possible. So I tried to put on the clothes that would look presentable. I put on cologne because we don't want her to smell who I actually am. For you women, there's times that we end up getting ready and you end up putting on makeup because you don't want the person to actually see what you really look like. And so we end up, and here it is, it's both men and women. We are weird with this because we end up putting all of these things on. Why? Because we want to be approved by somebody else. We want to be pleasing to somebody else for this approval so that we feel like we have made it. And the reality is, is that often we do the same thing with God. That we end up putting on things and we think, well, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to keep doing these things. I'm going to come to church when it's six degrees out. Because God will then approve of this relationship that we have. And we do this and we continue to work because we are pursuing this. And what he is saying is clothe yourself. Put on the armor uh, of God, put on the breastplate of righteousness because where righteousness originates from is the Savior that we are to follow. So in this, what we have to understand is that what righteousness has to do with is being presentable to God. But I want you to know this is what's going to take place. Satan is going to come and he's going to really use two chief lies to impact you to bring a battle to you and he's going to do this in a variety of ways but he's going to really try to work on your heart and he's going to use it by trying to get to different areas to different avenues to get to your heart the first lie that he is going to use with you is this lie that says god doesn't really love you god doesn't really love you see he's playing on your fear He's 
uh, playing on this hope, this, this ability to make you doubt. To say, look, do you not look in the mirror and see the mess that you are? How could God really love you? And so Satan's going to come and, and he's going to put this in and then you start asking yourself, how could God love a mess like me? And we think of our mistakes and we think of our circumstances. And when we start looking at those, Satan starts to pounce. He uses our past and our present circumstances and situations to go after us. Maybe for some of you, you grew up in a home. And growing up in that home, you were made aware of every mistake that you ever made. You were told, like, you might have had a, a great uh, project in school and, and you felt really good about it and you came home, but maybe somebody in your home pointed out, well, but you missed this. Could be playing sports, could be relationships that you've had, whatever it may be, but you were told that over and over. And so you started defining love as, as having to be perfect and work to earn love from your parents or whoever was in that, that home and so in the end, you start thinking, well, this is what it's all about, and so I have to work to earn this. And that's how you have approached life. And so when this is happening, Satan's going to tell you that God doesn't really love you. And what you need to know is that that approach isn't original with you. You go back to the first book of the Bible. In fact, you go back to the first pages of the Bible. You're going to find Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they end up eating the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from. And what's the first thing that they do? They end up feeling shame and they run and hide and they try to take it all on themselves and they, they try to cover it up and they don't think that God could really love them. And so from the beginning of time to now, this is what's been happening. And so Paul ends up saying that the breastplate of righteousness is not just something that we wear. It is something that ends up being a declaration. It declares that no matter what you have done, what mistakes you have, how bad you are, the God that provides the armor loves you intensely and passionately and stands for you. That's what the breastplate does. It's not only something that protects, it's something that declares. And get this, if you're sitting here today thinking that you have all these mistakes, how could God love you? What I want you to understand is that your sins, the things that you have, can't be piled on more of Jesus' shoulders. He already took those for you. He already went to the cross and he bore the sin of past, of the present, and of the future. And he was put, it was put on his shoulders and he went to the cross and he said, I love you. And so in that, whenever Satan comes to say, God doesn't really love you, you have to understand it's a lie. 
And whenever God is telling you this, or whenever Satan's telling you this, what you have to remember is that God is not going to bring any divorce papers or broken contracts or to try to bring anything to you to separate you from him. He's going to say, I love you and my arms are open with grace. And so whenever we look at this, we have to understand that Satan is going to lie, but God has already won. So then there's a second lie. The second lie that Satan's going to bring is if he starts working on this love part, then he ends up saying, well, if you are going to believe that, then you should believe this. And it's that your sin doesn't really matter. If he's so gracious, then your sin doesn't really matter. So you can mess up and and you can live however you want to live and you can do whatever you want to do because he is always going to love you. And what i got to tell you is that's just not the gospel truth. It's not the way towards righteousness. See, whenever we, we look at this, we have to understand that the gospel says that Jesus gives us his perfect righteousness, and because he gives it to us and we accept it, we can't continue on in our evil ways. When we continue on in evil ways, we are separating ourselves from that righteousness. So, to continue growing in this perfect righteousness, God did something beautiful. He put the Holy Spirit within you. And so the Holy Spirit ends up coming uh, upon you and in you. And so whenever these temptations come, then where Satan says, it doesn't really matter, the uh, Holy Spirit comes and says, it matters and I have a better way. I'm going to lead you to a better way. Now, here's what you have to understand with these two lies. Is that Satan's going to creep in and he's going to try to use four different areas because what he really wants to do is get in towards the the heart and to defeat the breastplate. So I want you to see these four ways. He's going to start by hitting your mind. He's going to attack your mind. See, he wants to distort your thinking about God's word and about God's will. He wants to cripple you there. And if he can cripple you from the truth, then he's going to impact all sorts of areas of your life. And so he's going to be talking to you all the time to try to get your mind away from the truth. Maybe for some of you, you're going, my mind never shuts off. And I want to ask you, How much of the voice in your head that's telling you all these things that you're to be doing and and saying and then acting out, how much of it is from God's truth and how much of it is Satan trying to lie to you? If he doesn't get to your mind, he's going to go after your will. And in your will, he's going to go after your ambitions. He's going to say, you know, what is it that you really, really want? How is it that you uh, want to pursue life? And so he ends up lying to us and telling us that these temporary pursuits are more important than the eternal pursuits that the Bible talks about. And so he's going to go after your will. He's also going to go after your emotions. You know, we love emotions. Even if you men that are sitting here and you go, I never show emotion. Yeah, you do. By not showing it, that is your emotion. 
But we love emotions, and so Satan's going to go after our emotions, and he's going to build on it, because if he can get towards our emotions, what happens is when we start getting emotional, we start making horrible choices. And so he's going to go after that so that we start making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice that ends up dividing us from righteousness. Or the last, the last place he's going to go after your conscience. See, whenever Satan goes after your conscience, when these lies invade this space, it means that your guidelines and your standards end up falling apart. That you don't see God's standards as the, as the true standard. You end up seeing other things as the standard and you end up falling apart. Now here's the important thing. With these four lies, these four attacks, the whole reason he's going after that is to get a trail so that he can be on the throne of your heart. And sometimes it only takes one place. And sometimes it takes four. But this is the battle you're going to go on. It's the, the battle that's going to come. And so buying into these lives, mean, lies means that we have to navigate these four spaces. We have to navigate why it's so important every day to wake up and to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because understand this, the breastplate of righteousness protects the flow of your heart in your battle. It protects it. See, don't buy into the thought that the ailments of life has the power to take away what the cross has given you. Your ailments can't take it away. So then, how do we put on the breastplate? And I want to I end with this. When we put on the breastplate, what we have to understand is that it's a response to something. It's a response to the work of Jesus at the cross and defeating death at the grave. It's a response of waking up each day remembering that you are going to stand on God's truth wearing a perfectly fit armor that God has given you. And so the way that you put it on and how you put it on is really three ways that we find in Ephesians 6. And they're simple. The first is that we put on. We are just to put on. In order to put on God's righteousness, you need to know God's righteousness. Think about how easy it is at times to put on things. Why is that? It's because you know how to do it. When you know how to do something, it becomes easy. But in this, what we have to understand is that if we're going to know God's righteousness, it means that this book that is living and active, it's sharper than any sword. It's come to convict, to transform, to give peace, to give hope, to give life. If you don't know this, you can't put on the breastplate. So how are you getting into this? Not because it's a task to put off your list, because this is the thing that is going to guide you in every area of your life. So we put on, the second thing that we do is that we stand. We face every battle and circumstance and season remembering that we aren't told to charge. We are told to stand. And like I mentioned earlier, we get into a posture of dependence. Adults, 
I want you at some point to look at your kids. Remember kids when they were, when they were young and they were infants and how the posture was of dependence on you for life. Well, that's how you are to be with God. It might mean that you have to wear out your knees. If you end up getting knee replacement surgery because you are down on your knees every day with God, then that is the right thing to do. But you are to just depend on God. You are to come back to His Word and say, I trust in this truth. And because it's perfect, and because Jesus is perfect, knowing God, I can stand in the battle that I'm in right now. And the last thing is that you are to focus. So you put on, you stand, and you focus. See, we live in a world of distractions. I mean, a world of distractions. And what the evil one wants to do is he wants to distract you from the focus that you should have. And notice this. The focus isn't on what Satan is necessarily doing. The focus on, is on who has already won the victory. When are you looking at the cross? When are you looking at the empty grave? When are you worshiping and saying, because of that, I can enter and stand in the battle that has come to me? So Edward Moat grew up without any religious training. In fact, his parents, he came from a background where his parents were bar owners and they were very hostile towards the church. They didn't love the church at all. They didn't want really them or their child to, to have anything to do with it. So early on, Edward was apprenticed to a local cabinet maker. And through the influence of this cabinet maker, Edward Mote came to know Jesus Christ at, at the age of 15. As a man, he became really skilled in making these cabinets and had a successful business. But no matter how great the business was going, he always was thinking, how can I worship my God? And in 1834, he felt inspired on the way to work to start writing some, some phrases out. And he wrote this psalm, and I'm not going to hurt your ears. I'm not going to sing it. But what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think, what is going on? What is the battle that is going on in your life? Where is Satan trying to come to steal, kill, and destroy? And I want you to remember that you have been given the breastplate of righteousness that perfectly fits you and I want you to listen to these words that he wrote. Some of you might know these really well. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, 
I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When He shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Believer, the breastplate of righteousness protects the flow of your heart in your battle, and you are called to stand. Father, I pray that we as disciples, that we would choose to just stand and depend, that we would remember that you have not called us to charge. You haven't called us to to move in extremely bold and dangerous ways. You have called us to stand in total dependence on you. And in the midst of the battle, you have not left us alone here. You have provided your armor that is a perfect fit. So God, for, for the ones that are here right now who just feel like, All hope is gone. I pray that the words that Edward Moat wrote would stand true in their life. Pray that we as a community here at Tri-Village, that we would desperately cling to you, that all hope is found in you, And that you would use us for your glory, not our own. May we stop trying to work our way into your presence, to be accepted by you. And remember that because of the face of Jesus on us, we are accepted by your holy standards. So move in us. Lead us. Help us to continue to surrender and to wake up, not surprised by the battle, but to stand in the battle. It's your name I pray. Amen.